Hey, this is Perplexing Ruins, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last chapter opens with the city watchguard, Wedrin, having detected Yellowfly's intrusion. He has his sword drawn and is creeping up the stairs, but Wedrin isn't expecting two intruders, so when he reaches the third floor, Tamlin, hiding to the side of the doorway, gets the drop on him. A quick battle ensues, the noise from which alerts Yellowfly and brings him running. Sandwiched between the two priests, Wedrin is easily dispatched. Having to dispose of his corpse presents a wrinkle in the duo's plan to enter and leave without a trace, but Yellowfly comes up with a viable solution. The guard is thrown from the tower after being soaked in the captain's booze. It's a plausible fiction they hope will prove convincing. Now, with the heat from the tower caper and the warehouse job, combined with having two of their members badly hurt, Yellowfly's gang is sent to Domor with instructions to lay low and wait until called back. In a final scene, we witness the crumbling resolve of Ligo, cleric of Sidal, who has fallen in lust with his much younger pupil. Disturbingly, when it becomes clear that she's aware of his interest, she does not seem to mind at all. Before we join the narrative for this episode, there are a few little things we need to work out. I've left Phelan's, eh, you know I should really start calling him by his new name, Catsbane. Anyway, I've left his character sheet incomplete for too long. Now that he's a proper player character and a member of Yellowfly's gang, I need to finish up. First, his hit points. As he is now a PC, I don't need to roll for these. House rules say he gets max at first level. He has a constitution score of 9, so there's no bonus here. Phelan will start with 4 hit points. His starting spell will require a roll. I've always preferred to determine new spells at random. And there's another house rule I should mention even before I do that. All magic users get the spell Read Magic as an always-on cantrip or innate ability. The BX rules lists 12 first-level spells, and Read Magic is number 9 on that list. Just for fun, if I roll a 9, I'm going to make a second list, cherry-picking certain spells from Advanced D&D. Okay, rolling a d12 for fail and spell got an 8. What's that? Oh, interesting. It's read languages. What does that spell do exactly? Okay, reading the spell description tells me it allows the caster to decipher not only unknown languages, but codes, maps, and secret symbols. Well, that could be very useful. I like it. Now, my mind immediately goes to the cipher that Shawnee found in the safe house. Why would Phelan not have used his spell to decode that? Well, one reason might be that, at the time, he didn't trust them enough to offer help, but I think the truth is actually the opposite. 
They didn't trust him, so Phelan was not even aware of the cipher's existence. They've probably told him since, but it's no help. The book is with Lord Rabbit and Silmoral, whereas they are on the lamb just outside Domore. Alright, let's get back into the story and see how the party's forced downtime comes to an end. Chapter 10, Part 1, Day 37, Evening, Party Status, Yellowfly, 15 of 15 hit points, Tamlin, 7 of 7, Cole, 8 of 8, Shawnee, 8 of 8, Phelan, 4 of 4, Spells Available, Tamlin has prayed for, Cure Light Wounds, Phelan has memorized, Read Languages. The dinner crowd was bigger than usual that evening, for there was a popular minstrel scheduled to perform. This entertainer went by the name Jerered the Black Cap. The name referred both to the tuneful bird and to the felt hat worn by the dashing young man. Jerered knew how to win a crowd. Instead of chasing fame and immortality with his own compositions, he specialized in performing the most popular works by other bards, and no musician was more popular in Camertine than Hamnet Rattlestaff. For this reason, Gerard the Blackcap's nightly playlist was liberally peppered with Rattlestaff's ribald tavern pleasers. Yellowfly's gang was presently seated together, finishing bowls of squash soup that was the evening's meal offering. They were tired, having made it their habit to help out with the running of the inn during the day. Yellowfly often spent his mornings in Domor or Rull, running errands for Donick. Tamlin helped in the kitchen. Phelan spent much of his time reading books on loan from the apothecary and tending to the two convalescents. Cole always had one eye on the door when he was in the tavern's dining area. He'd been unable to help out with the work and was now growing impatient for word from Lord Rabbit. Tonight, that word finally arrived. A slim woman with a youthful face and a traveler's cloak entered just as Gerard the Black Cap was collecting his backup players from the bar and instructing them to tune their instruments. Cole did not know the traveler's face, but he recognized the thief's cant symbol that marked someone as a messenger. In the woman's belt was tucked a wooden flute, painted black. The big man made to rise, but Shawnee pulled him back into his chair. No, now, Cole. Can't you see they're about to start? And so they were. It would not only be rude, but quite conspicuous to get up just as a performance was beginning. So Cole sank back into his chair, crossed his arms, and waited for the performance to run its course. Once there were princesses three, and lusty maids they were said to be. Their father would not trust to luck and fearful of a royal. Fa-la-la, 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 la He welded on his daughter's three belts to keep her virginity. And in each belt was placed a lock with a blade to chop an intruder's. When the king returned from war, he called his knights all seven score and ordered them to drop their pants to see if each still had his. Derry down, derry down, derry down, derry down, derry down, hang derry, derry down. Hi, I'm Sid Razavi, the host of Run the Adventure, 
a podcast dedicated to getting the most out of published modules for your tabletop role-playing game. Every episode, I take a look at a module to show you where the fun is and how you might want to tweak it to suit your game. I hope even if you decide not to play a particular adventure, you'll get some interesting ideas out of it. I cover modules for Dungeons & Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, Traveller, and soon a bunch of other systems, including Alien RPG, Achtung Cthulhu, and Vampire the Masquerade. I've been running games for over 30 years now, but my aim with every episode is to put myself in the shoes of a new GM. As well as breaking down the scenario and how it plays, I pepper the discussion with useful advice for the relatively new GM who has to try to run the adventure for their group. I try to make sure the discussion is also interesting for veteran GMs who are looking for ideas for their own games. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can find the latest episode on RunTheAdventure, all one word, dot com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you check it out, and until then, may your adventures run fantastic. Dramatis Personae, Catsbane. One week ago, he'd been wondering why Yellowfly had waited so long to swear him into the guild, but the answer, it turned out, was obvious. It was, in fact, right above his head. In the light of the full moon, he and the others had stolen away from the Happy Harpy and made their way to a clearing some half a mile away. All around them were the sounds of the night, and the solitude made them seem more present than usual, preternatural even. Somewhere, an owl hooted, and perhaps Yellowfly took this as a sign from Chartoon to begin the short ceremony. First, he handed Phelan a dagger. It was extremely sharp. Phelan knew this because he had worked on it with the whetstone himself earlier in the day. He'd been nervous about this part before. He hadn't liked the idea of drawing his own blood. But now, he thought about how he had carried Shawnee out of a burning building not long ago, and his fear of this became small and unimportant. He pricked the tip of his left pinky hard and blood welled up around the weapon's steel point. Yellowfly now handed him a slip of paper upon which Phelan had written his own name. This the young wizard took and used to blot his own blood. Tamlin was ready with a third and final item, a lit candle. He had one hand cupped behind it to prevent the light wind from blowing it out. He traded Phelan the dagger for the candle, and then it was time for the newest member of the church to say the words he had committed to memory. In the silence of the night, and under the light of the stars and splendor of the full moon, with Shartoon as my witness, I make this oath that I shall no longer be judged by other men, that I shall instead judge myself. I further pledge to uphold the secrecy of the church, even at the cost of my own life. Now I burn away my old life. When it is gone, I am reborn. He touched the little slip of paper to the flame and watched it bend into a black curly cue before it caught fire and burned in his fingers, which neither shook nor flinched at the pain. When it was done, he opened his hand and let the ashes blow away on the breeze. Welcome to the church, Catsbane, said Yellowfly. Chapter 10, Part 2, Day 37, Late Evening, Party Status. 
the party's status is unchanged. Twilight had fallen and the moon was visible through the window when the band finally took its break and headed straight to the bar to drink their wages. While Jurerit talked up one of the serving girls, Yellowfly sidled up to the traveler carrying the black flute. The wisest of sages, said Yellowfly in a quiet voice. Content in their cages, replied the woman. You have a message for me? I do. Would you like to buy me a drink? The woman favored him with a winsome smile. Yellowfly blushed. Yes, of course, I'm sorry. What are you drinking? Shouldn't you ask me my name first? She was enjoying this. Yellowfly wasn't. His face reddened further. I, yes, may I have your name? That's better. I'm Levelin. Well met. I'm called Yellowfly. I know who you are, and by the mother's grace, I am no lady. The two carried on this awkward exchange for several more minutes, with Yellowfly feeling increasingly out of his depth before returning to a table full of grinning companions. He set a folded letter on the table. That was an ordeal, he declared. When's the wedding? asked Shane. Haha, now shut up, said Yellowfly, pretending to sulk, and let me read this in peace. Yellowfly and his gang by extension are now 12 gold pieces lighter as he overpays the messenger in addition to footing the bill for her meal, drinks, and room. The party isn't broke though, they still have a little over 80 gold pieces collectively. Now let's find out what's in this letter he paid so dearly to get. It will come as no surprise that the church employs numerous spies and informants throughout Silmoral. A few of these pose as girlfriends or mistresses to the members of the city watch, the royal guard, and to powerful merchants and nobles as well. Lord Rabbit has a couple such women on his payroll and, through them, can keep tabs on various factions and influencers and, in some cases, motivate behaviors. This is how he has quickly learned whether or not Yellowfly's faking of the Tower Guard's accident in Fatal Fall has been believed. I'll say that it's quite likely the ruse will have succeeded. Someone would have had to notice Wedrin's torn chain mail and the small wound in his lower back that was caused by Yellowfly's sword to even begin to suspect foul play. That's unlikely. I gotta say that a 1 or 2 on a d6 means that somebody has detected something off with the situation. Here's the roll. Oh, for crying out loud, I've got a 2. This is not going to be good. Shortly after sending Yellowfly's team to Domor, Lord Rabbit learns that their mission backfired. Apparently, this Wedrin was a lifelong teetotaler. He had never taken a drop in his life. This was enough to make the situation suspicious, and it was not long after that the sword wound was discovered. The potential leverage over Captain Bellock is lost. Worse, the incident spawns further consequences. Dire ones. When Yellowfly told Shawnee to shut up and let him read, he had been smiling. But as they watched him scan the letter's contents, his mouth became a thin, straight line. His features darkened, and at one point, a little groan escaped him. Eventually, he folded the letter slowly back in half, took a deep breath, and addressed his companions. It's bad. Really bad. Here he paused and sighed heavily. They weren't fooled by our little drama, Tamlin. It's thought that Bellic has either found or will soon find the medallion. And of course they've guessed that the fire was no coincidence. It'll be alright, Fly, said Tamlin. We just need to wait a little longer. Have some patience. It'll all blow over. You don't understand. Bellic has already reacted. Given what I saw in his office, I'd say he's either in league with the Winx, or at least he knows what they're up to. What has happened? asked Shane. Something terrible. The City Watch raided the Warrens. They rounded up two dozen men, women, even some children. Dragged them off to the King's dungeons. 
They nailed a dead rabbit to the doors of each of their homes. That was more than two weeks ago, but apparently half of these folks haven't returned. Those who have are beaten and broken, tortured for information. Yellowfly rubbed his face. I fear I am responsible for this. Shani didn't know what to say, so she just reached across the table and took his hands in hers. Tamlin had turned gray. If we'd known this earlier, we could have turned ourselves in and saved those people, he muttered. That's exactly what Lord Rabbit wanted to avoid. That's why he waited so long to tell us. I don't understand, said Tamlin. Why would he want to keep us from doing that? Cole supplied the answer. We know too much. The folks they arrested probably didn't know anything. They probably would have even made things up to stop the torture. It's better for the church this way. Better for the church, Tamlin echoed. It's not better for the people in chains under Whitestone Castle. He was shaking. I'm not saying it's right. Nor am I saying it's easy, but it makes sense. That's all. Cole looked down, unsure if he'd said the wrong thing. Yellowfly, grim-faced and silent, just patted him on his large shoulder and nodded. The party is down, but not out. After the individual members of Yellowfly's gang deal with whatever personal demons have been roused by the news of their failure, their attitudes resolve generally into a desire for redemption and, even more, a renewed hatred for the authorities of Silmoral. There's a special and more intense animosity reserved for Captain Bellock and King Culfrey, who have shown their total disregard for the city's poor by punishing them for the party members' crimes. Clearly, they do not distinguish one poor person from another. At the end of Lord Rabbit's letter, Yellowfly finds instructions to stay put in Domor, quote-unquote, indefinitely, while he figures out what to, quote-unquote, do with them. In the morning, Yellowfly gives the Black Flute messenger a letter to return to his captain. In it, he accepts personal responsibility for the disastrous mission and whatever consequences must follow. He also begs leniency for his subordinates. Yellowfly very much wishes to request that the cipher book be returned, now that they have a way to read it, but he decides not to. More involvement is probably not what Lord Rabbit has in mind. In fact, Yellowfly expects that one day soon, he'll be approached by a stranger who will give him a dagger in a red leather scabbard. This is the way the priests of the church are ordered to disappear forever. The method by which one is to disappear is never expressly stated, but the medium of the message implies a lot. For now, the party waits. Another week goes by, at a cost to Yellowfly of another ten gold pieces in room and board, before something happens. But the event that has them packing their bags in a hurry is not a return of the Black Flute, nor is it a stranger bearing a red-sheathed farewell. It happens that one evening, a wealthy textile merchant is staying with his business partner and their retinue at the Happy Harpy, while on their way to visit some flax farmers in Rall. The merchant, Peltur was his name, could have afforded better lodgings, but Peltur was a great lover of music, and the Harpy had a reputation for drawing good local talent. Shanae and Yellowfly fortuitously overhear a part of their conversation one evening, and their words result in something of a revelation. I'm going to rule that Pelter knows three things that the PCs will greatly benefit from if they overhear. I'll let Shanae roll her Hear Noise Thieves ability check to see if she catches all three of them, or just one. The chance for success is two in six, so a roll of one or two is what we want to see here. Rolling. A six. The party's bad luck continues. They won't get the full picture, but they'll hear enough to make them both sit up straight in their chairs and look each other in the eye. Chapter 10, Part 3, Day 44, Evening, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. 
Dinner consisted of cuts of marinated pork cooked in wine sauce and served with heaps of greens. This was much better fare than the patrons of the Harpy were accustomed to, but Donnick had served it in an attempt to impress his wealthy guest. The merchant, Peltour, tipped well, and his endorsement could really raise the profile of his establishment. Despite the quality fare, Yellowfly and Shane did not have much appetite that night. Each day that passed brought them closer to Lord Rabbit's ruling. They're not deliberately eavesdropping on the textile merchants at the table beside theirs, but the men were loud, and it was hard not to overhear part of their conversation. You know, the last time I saw Lord Omrid, he was telling me of his recently developed fondness for good mead. Anyway, I mentioned to him that I had a cask of Satchori mead in my cellars. Very well aged, and you should have seen the man's face. My lord's eyes just about fell out of his face. He offered to buy it from me straight away. Is that so? prompted the other merchant, a grin spreading across his face. Aye, and guess what he offered to pay for it? Forty gold coins! Forty! For a single cask, mind you! I think I paid five! I hope you took his money from him! <laughs> laughed the other man. I most certainly did not. Lord Omrid has more money than he knows what to do with. But he's one of the cheapest bastards I've ever known. If he's offered forty, it must be worth at least twice that. Well, they aren't making Satori mead anymore, that's for sure. Precisely. The man must think I have rocks for brains. Speaking of which, how do you tell which is the bride at an Opluic wedding? Pelter loved a good joke. I give up. <laughs> What's the answer? She's the one with the least cow dung on her boots. Both men laughed loudly. <laughs> Pelter wiped away a mirthful tear as he waved down a serving girl to order more drink. When they arrived, he sipped at his slowly and, looking wistful, murmured, Shame about Satros. Wonderful mead. His companion nodded solemnly and then said, Now that reminds me, do you remember the bad business in the cobbles last month? Anything that hurts the Blue Heron Company is welcome if you ask me. Quite right. Remember the news of the Tower Guard? Happened on the same day. Poor bastard felt it was death. There was a great deal of fuss over it at the time for some reason. One table away, Shawnee's and Yellowfly's ears perked up. Well, there's a part of that story most folk never heard. It's quite tragic, really. Oh? What happened? That guard left behind a widow. They had just been married two days before he died. I didn't hear anything about that. You wouldn't have. They were married in secret. I heard it from a friend who knows the priest who did the ceremony. You're familiar with the Church of First Light? Camranthian Church? <laughs> it's said that the place was paid for with dwarven silver. I've heard that rumor. Doubt very much it's true, but it makes for a good story. Anyway, the bride insisted the ceremony be held in secret. Something about her family not approving of the engagement, and some trouble with her father or some such thing. I wonder if that guard had a penny to his name. She'll have a hard time coming back from a thing like that. Chapter 10 Part 4 Day 45 Evening Lolly hated coming back to her empty apartment. The tragedy had struck several weeks ago, but the pain was still fresh, and everything reminded her of him. Some of Wedrin's clothes still hung from pegs in their home. She couldn't bring herself to get rid of them. Lately, she found herself working from morning to night. For one, she needed the money. Even simple funerals were expensive, and she couldn't ask the guild for help. More than that, she needed something to keep herself occupied. Idle time was the worst, because all she did was think about him. She closed the door behind her and threw the bolt to lock it with her free hand. 
Her other arm cradled a basket half full of unsold apples. She dropped it on a side table and picked up a bottle of wine. She pulled the cork out as she walked past her bedroom and into the little kitchen. When she got there, she froze. There was a man sitting in her chair. He had been just out of sight from the hall. Yellowfly, she breathed. Lolly, said the man. It would seem you and I have a few things to discuss. Why not pour us both a cup and then have a seat? Lolly's eyes flicked to the dirk on the table in front of Yellowfly and then back to his face. He wasn't smiling. She took a step back. Don't do that, Lolly. You'll make it a lot worse if you do. I, I, I've got nothing to say to you, she stammered. Nice home, drawled Yellowfly, ignoring her response. I don't think I received an invitation to your wedding, though. Lolly's mouth twisted. Wedron was a good man. A good, good man. Better than you are. She took another step back, her mind racing. She had bolted the door. It would take a few extra seconds to unbolt it if she tried to run. You sold me out, said Yellowfly flatly. From somewhere inside her, she felt anger welling up. So what if I did? You need to make things right, Lolly. Tell Lord Rabbit what you've done. I... I have every right to have a life, you bastard. You're not supposed to fall in love with your mark, I think. What of it? Nobody knows anything. It was all done in secret. I'm a damned good liar and you can't prove a thing. I don't think I'll have to, Lolly. She shook her head in confusion. What on Merith was he talking about? She took another step back, and when Yellowfly made no move to stop her, she realized the situation was even worse than she had thought. She didn't have to wait to find out what it was. There came the sound of footsteps from her bedroom. Then, into the hall behind her, walked Lord Rabbit. His face was drawn, and there was a web of deep wrinkles around his sad eyes. Lolly felt a sinking sensation in her breast. She was about to throw herself to the floor and beg forgiveness. She would do whatever it took to make things right. She would swear to anything. But then Lolly saw what was in Lord Rabbit's outstretched hand, and she knew it was too late. She reached out and accepted the dagger from the older man. It was held in a red leather sheath. Thanks for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and would like to lend your support, there are five ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can purchase One Shot in the Dark or pick up Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. The show just keeps on growing and growing, and I have all of you to thank. Case in point, here's another one of your generous reviews. This one is on Apple Podcasts and was posted by Brent and Ellen. Brent and Ellen write, Each episode is a compelling story with characters that you can identify with and surprising plot twists. These episodes remind me of a cross between the thrills of learning Moldvay D&D when it was new and my favorite fantasy novels. I listen both ways during my 55-minute commute to work and then enjoy summarizing it all for my wife when I get home in the evening. Keep up the excellent work, my friend. Thanks so much, Brendan Ellen. The idea that somewhere out there someone gets home and retells part of this ongoing story to their partner is deeply gratifying and touching, too. I'm so happy that you're enjoying the tale, and of course, I'm equally happy that you're enjoying the mishmash of OSR game and fantasy novel that the show is aiming for. There's lots more to come, as Season 2 is only just getting started. Once again, thank you, Brent and Ellen. I'd also like to thank this episode's voice actors. In addition to the familiar voice of Kyellen in the role of Catsbane, who kills it as usual, this episode features four new and talented voice actors, plus a very special musical guest. 
for playing the role of the Black Flute Messenger, Levelin. I'd like to thank Natsu. Find her at Natsu, that's N-A-T-S-U-U, on Twitter. The Merchant, Peltour, and his friend were played by Jeremy and Jason of Old Men Rolling Dice. Check them out on Instagram, where they frequently post great stuff. Carrie Smith of Crossroads Games expertly plays Lolly. Carrie is a real dynamo and a heck of a good GM. Watch her in action on her YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Carrie Smith 2012. That's Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, Smith, S-M-I-T-H. Finally, allow me to introduce Gerard, who plays the bard, Gerard, the black cap. Hey, when you've got a cool name like that, why change it? Gerard did a collab with me on the arrangement and production of the song you hear performed. The guy can really sing. If you'd like to hear more, check out his Bandcamp page, gerard.bandcamp.com. Gerard is J-E-R-E-R-E-D. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials, at ManticoreTale on Twitter, or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog where I post, well, all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, from maps to musings to crafts to show notes. I'll post the lyrics to the song Gerard performed shortly. It's called The Guillotine, by the way. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. The Four Corners Podcast presents The Final Crusade, a Pathfinder 1E Mythic Rules adventure playing Wrath of the Righteous. Come sit at our table and join our five intrepid players for the high highs, all our mythic tier two, <laughs> the low lows, and hits her in the temple. Are you fucking kidding me? And she dies. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, what? Utter chaos. Solidarity! And then she's going to pull a card from the deck. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, this is going off the rails. Oh, <laughs> An untold mystery. And I guess we'll have to find out what it all means <laughs> next time on the final crusade. Wait, what is happening? It's <laughs> oh. a great question. I'm so confused. <laughs> Join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms.